So to get a bachelor's and a master of divinity, that typically takes seven years. I didn't want to do that. At my school, there was a program that allowed you to do seven years of school in five, but they condensed it. And I wanted to join that program, and I did. But the load, it was brutal. Not only are you taking more classes each semester, but you're taking classes in semesters you normally don't have to take classes in. You're taking it in the fall. You're also taking it in the summer. And so for five years, I was never on a break, taking more classes all the time and at all times. I loved it, but at the same time, it was beginning to take its toll. I was getting to the point where I had less enthusiasm about what I was doing, less passion. It was also affecting me spiritually. One of the difficult things about going to seminary and about being a pastor even is that after studying the Bible all day, you know, nine, ten hours sometimes, it's hard to sometimes want to go back and then apply it to yourself and read the Bible personally for your own spiritual growth. And I remember that there was a point, maybe four years in, that I was just getting wore out mentally, spiritually, physically, and it was difficult. And I know that we've all experienced stuff like that before. We experience it at work. And by the way, sometimes we think that ministry, that gospel ministry, that a pastor, that a missionary, that that is really the only work that, that really glorifies God, but other jobs, they don't. That's simply not true. The truth is, is that all our jobs, if we're doing it with faith in Christ, if we're doing it with faith in God, trusting God, and we are doing it to his glory, that does glorify God. If you work in the legal realm, for example, if you're a police officer, if you're a judge, if you're a lawyer, if you do that in a way that reflects, if you do that uh, to reflect God's glory, then you are reflecting his image because God is a God of justice. And so you're reflecting God's justice in that realm. But no matter our job, we all begin to feel burnout. We've all experienced burnout. The nine to five can start taking its toll on you. It can start to weigh you down. Maybe there's been nothing new at your job in years. Maybe you've never had a raise. Maybe you've never been promoted. Maybe you're just tired of the environment and you just feel tired. Maybe you're here and you feel spiritually exhausted. You remember the seasons in your life when you just loved the word of God, when you loved to listen to sermons, you loved Christian service, but it just hasn't been like that in a long time. The word seems dry, and sometimes even coming to church can be difficult. And if you do go to scripture, and you're in that place, you might begin to wonder, what is all this talk about God's rest? 
Where is this rest that, God's talk, that God always talks about, that Scripture speaks about over and over again? Where is this rest? Because I don't feel it. What's with all this flying on wings like eagles talk uh, in Isaiah? We've been following Paul from location to location to location for months now. In nearly every single city, in nearly every chapter, what happens? He's persecuted. Either they attempt to hurt him physically, or they have him arrested and imprisoned. Or they'll just throw him out of the city. Eventually, that's what they always do. Can you imagine how exhausting that would be? We think our jobs are bad. Imagine being beaten. Imagine being imprisoned. Imagine always having people talk about you. Imagine having to always deal with that. None of us have had to experience it to that degree. And now in our text, Paul is coming to a new city. He's coming to Corinth. What is Corinth? Last time, we looked at Athens. You guys remember Athens? What did we say about that? That that was the capital of philosophical thought. Well, Corinth is the capital of depravity. (laughs) Corinth had many forms of sexual immorality. It was, the city was filled with prostitutes. Corinth was actually so bad that there was a, that if you would call somebody a Corinth, uh, that you're a Corinthian, that was the ultimate insult. It was about the, one of the worst things you could say to somebody. The city, aside from the depravity, it was, it was full of entertainment. They had theater, they had sporting events. And because of the entertainment, because of the sports, because of all these things, it was said, there was a, a saying in Corinth that Corinth is more Rome than Rome itself. So, here comes Paul. He's headed off to this great cosmopolitan city. What do you think he's going to do? I shouldn't even have to say it. He's going to preach the gospel. But notice that as bad as Corinth is, God wants the gospel to go there. The gospel is for sinners. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. It says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So, as in every town, he goes, he preaches the gospel. How do they respond? Verse 6, rejection. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garment and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. And then at the end of verse 6, it says that he's going on to the Gentiles. Have you ever wondered why Paul always goes to the Jews first at every town and then later to the Gentiles? You ever thought about why he says in Romans, for instance, to the Jew first and then the Greek? It's because Paul believed Isaiah. In Isaiah... Uh, when the gospel comes, it, it, there's, that's where I think they get the word gospel. There's this guy that's running, and he's running to the city, and they look from afar, and he's got good news to bring, and it's that exile's over, God's returning to Israel. And the way that was going to happen in Isaiah is that God was going to restore Israel first, 
And then after he restored Israel, Israel would go and then restore the rest of the world. And that's exactly what we see. What are the apostles? They're Jews. Jesus restored Israel in these apostles and many other followers, and then they went on to restore the world. It's just like Isaiah said. But everywhere Paul goes, and so that's why he goes to the Jews first, but everywhere Paul goes, he's met with rejection. And that took such, uh, that was so heartbreaking for Paul that it actually inspired him to write Romans 9 to 11 because he could, uh, he was having to reconcile with himself how God's word said that Israel would be restored, yet many Jews are rejecting the gospel. But let's pretend we're Paul for a second. We keep going around place to place. We keep being persecuted. We keep being rejected. Always the threat of being hurt physically. Always the threat of being arrested. Having to hear people's verbal attacks as well. That would be difficult. That would be a hard life. And that would leave somebody exhausted in both ways, physically and spiritually, and Paul was. And so his plan is, the Jews rejected me, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, and then after the Gentiles, I'm just going to leave this place. But look what happens in verse 9 and 10. It says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God to them. So in the midst of Paul's suffering and exhaustion, God knows what Paul needs. And he tells Paul, essentially what he's saying to Paul, is that you are going to have a year and a half of restful peace you are going to have a year and a half of peace. We can see uh, the year and a half in verse 11. They stayed for, he stayed for a year and six months. But we can also see his promise of peace and rest when he says no one will attack you or harm you at the end of verse 11, or verse 10. So God is going to give Paul, we've seen him going city after city after city nonstop, uh, as we go through the book of Acts. But now in Corinth, God wants him to stay here, plant, and, and, just take, and just have some rest. No one's going to attack you this year in six months. You're just going to be able to do your work. Something Paul needed. But Paul's rest, it's not the only reason Paul was going to stay in Corinth. Look at the end of verse 10. For I have many in this city who are my people. I have many in this city that are my people. That's a special clause. And that clause should give us confidence in evangelism. Because out in our town, at our jobs, God has people who have not yet believed who belong to him and will believe. You don't know who they are yet. I don't know who they are yet. 
But out there in Milford, God has people who belong to him who need to hear the gospel. And they, because they are his people, will either respond immediately or later. Before the foundation of the world, actually, because no one would have responded to God, God has chosen a people throughout all times, throughout all ages. And we are God's ordinary means for gathering God's elect. You should assume that there are people at your work and in your neighborhood who belong to God. And they need you to teach them about Jesus. The good thing is, is that we just have to be faithful. They already belong to God. It's not going to come down to how clever you are. It's going, you faithfully preach the gospel and allow the spirit to do the work of conversion. If they belong to God, they will respond positively. And so Paul is commanded to be faithful in Corinth. He's to stay here in Corinth and share the gospel because there are people in Corinth who will believe. Let's look at a few other ways that God gave Paul rest during this year and a half. We first see it in the conversion of two key people. Look at verse 7. It says, And he left there and went to a house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So the man Titius, he was a worshiper of God. Uh, He came to accept the gospel. And we see from this text and from the book of Corinthians that he actually opened up his house to Paul. And it just so happened that he was right next to the synagogue, right next to the very people that Paul is wanting to convert. So the first way we see that God gave him rest is that he, gave, he converted a man who opened up his own and then put him right next to the synagogue. Verse 8, the second person. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. So he converted another, someone else in a key position. He was the ruler of the synagogue, which means he, he actually maintained the synagogue. He maintained the building. But the conversion of Crispus, because he maintained the building, might have had some perks or benefits for Paul. We don't know exactly, but they mention his conversion here for a reason. And in the end of verse 8, God converted many more people. It says, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So, aside from God telling, no one's going to harm you for this year and six months, aside from that, we see that God gave Paul a house, that he converted a a man right next to the synagogue, gave him a house right next to the synagogue, and he converted many Christians there, which gave him many friends. But there's another, other couple of ways that God gave Paul rest. Let's go back up to verses one to three. 
After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. What's going on here? Several things, but one thing we learn is that Paul had the skill and ability of making tents. People in the first century, they used tents for many reasons. It wasn't just recreational purposes like we usually do today. Many of the buildings were actually just tents. And the reason we've probably never heard of this until now is because Paul is so quickly going from city to city to city that he never has time to like take out his tools and set up shop and do all that. Now he's here for a year and six months and he has that opportunity. He's going to be in Corinth for a while. And in Rome, the Emperor Claudius, during this time he kicked out many Jews from Rome, and because of that, Paul was able to meet Aquila and Priscilla. They were in Rome, but because Claudius kicked them out, they got sent there and just so happened to meet Paul. They were also tent makers, and they allowed Paul to work with them. So God helped Paul by giving him fruitful, meaningful work in Corinth. We see one other way that God gave Paul a rest. Look at verse 12 to 17. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see it to yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized the Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Without going into depth in any of these verses, this happens so often. Uh, essentially, the Jews bring Paul uh, to be tried before the officials of the city. They said the same things they always say in the other town. They accused him. They said, these men are teaching things that we can't believe, that aren't lawful for us to believe. Gallio was overseeing it, and when he heard the Jews' complaint, he essentially just didn't care. Now, that's different because in all the other cities, the officials did care. They, they wanted to keep the peace, and so they would tell Paul and everybody else they need to leave. They need to leave the city, or they would arrest them. So this is different. And so we've seen all these other ways that God gave Paul rest in Corinth, but the final way is that we see that God essentially made Christianity legal in Corinth. It was able to legally be talked about and practiced. And that's amazing that God... He can make a promise to Paul and that he can direct the hearts and minds of many different men and women to carry out his will. He moved Titius to open his home to Paul. He had Claudius kick Aquila and Priscilla out of Rome so that he could work with them 
and make tents. He worked in the hearts of the city officials to allow Paul to preach the gospel in Corinth. God is entirely sovereign over human affairs. He can work through anyone to bring about his purposes. And that should be comforting because no matter what our circumstances is, he could change those in an instant. And even if he doesn't, just knowing that he's the one guiding it, directing it, controlling it, should give a deep sense of peace and comfort. And so God sovereignly gave Paul rest in many ways. How do you feel right now? Are you experiencing burnout? Has work gotten to the point that it feels like it's just grinding? How are you doing spiritually? Scripture talks a lot about rest. In the Old Covenant with the Jewish people, after God brought them out of Egypt, he said to them, I will give you rest. In the book of Samuel, we read in Samuel, David is always on the run. He's always being attacked by somebody, uh, and he's always on the run. He's always hiding out. He's always, either his own family's attacking him, or people in his own nation are attacking him, or other nations are attacking him. And it's just happening all the time. And many of the Psalms David wrote are speaking about trusting God through these difficult situations. But then we read eventually in Samuel that God gave David rest from all his enemies. Isaiah spoke about rest and renewal. It was read here this morning. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus said... Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, if you hear all these promises and you think to yourself, like, what is all that talking about? What is Jesus talking about? The Christian life is so hard. Life in general is hard. Just because scripture promises times of rest, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any difficulty that we have to face in life. There's two ways that we can think of God's promise of rest, though. First, is that even when our lives are difficult, even whenever we're working hard, even when we're exhausted, we can still sense, uh, have a deep sense of peace and joy, even in the midst of that. Feelings are very complex. If you don't think so, read Corinthians. Paul said, we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We can experience small degrees of rest and peace spiritually, even when we're exhausted. God and you think about Paul going to all these cities, no doubt there were times that he was exhausted, he was tired spiritually, physically, whatever, but God always gave him exactly what he needed at the time that he needed it to carry 
out his purposes. He gives just enough sometimes to keep going on. But the second way, and that's probably the normal way that we experience rest most of the time, is that life is often difficult, but we have these occasions and this deep sense of peace and rest as we're going through the difficulties of life. But the second way we think about God's rest, and this is what we've seen with Paul today, is that after long seasons of hard work, after long seasons of spiritual dryness, God gives abundant rest. God can give abundant rest. I'm talking about great seasons where we have this great zeal, where we have great joy in the Word and in the Lord. Long, bountiful seasons of spiritual rest. I'm not saying that God's going to give you a long vacation or something like that. I'm saying that God will restore your spirit and strength as you are going to work, if that makes sense. That's what I take from the verse I read in Isaiah. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. If you are waiting to be renewed, that means you're not renewed while you're waiting, right? You're waiting to be renewed. It's this faithful trust that God is going to do something. It's continuing to trust, continuing to wait for that rest. So if you're here now and you're tired and you're exhausted, keep walking, keep confessing, keep trusting God, and at some point, rest is going to come. If you're here today and you're not believing in Jesus, I want you to think about why for a second. What's holding you back? You, I, everyone in here, we've lived lives that are completely in rebellion against God. We've lived lives that are going the complete opposite path of God's ways. And sadly, because, rightly though, because God is a God of justice, because we are abandoning him, we will be abandoned eternally. And we will experience eternal conscious torment because of the things we've done. But at the heart of the gospel message is that on the cross, Jesus stood in our place. He took our punishment. Though, I mean, we can get into Trinitarian discussions, but though he was abandoned, I wouldn't say completely abandoned on the cross, he was abandoned on the cross so that you wouldn't have to be abandoned eternally. And the way that you get this restoration of fellowship with God is by repenting and believing in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And you will be forgiven today. As mentioned uh, at the beginning, when I was on the, this fast track at school, I felt really exhausted. I felt burnt out, but I just kept praying. I kept trusting, kept confessing. And eventually, God brought me through that burnout 
and into a place where I once again loved what I was doing. If we are like Paul, and we keep faith, being faithful in our work, God has called us to, eventually we will all experience the spiritual renewal that Scripture speaks about. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your good gift of work. But Lord, you know that it can be difficult and trying and, and we all pray and are eager to have the rest that you promise in your word. And we ask you, Father, that, you know, even if there's somebody here that's going through a very difficult time right now, maybe they even are contemplating giving up on, on Christianity altogether, I pray, Father, that you would renew them. I pray that you would re-strengthen them. I pray that you would restore them. We long for the, the spiritual rest. We all want that zeal, Lord. But Lord, we pray that you would give us enough for the day, that you would give us enough for this week, and we just want to continue faithfully working hard until we can experience an abundant season of rest. In Jesus' name, amen.